Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in a place called Hunter, New York, where I'm with my family, enjoying some late summer camping and outdoorsy stuff and all that jazz. It's uh, been a good time so far up here in the mountains, the Catskill Mountains, to be exact, a really beautiful part of New York State. Those of us who live in New York City forget about the rest of New York State, so it's important for us every five to ten years to just come and see another part of New York State besides Manhattan. So uh, this is nice for me, a little rest and relaxation. But, of course, I never take a break from giving you guys the poker content that we all crave so much. So I wanted to start off by announcing we have a new sponsor. It's a great irreverent company called Liquid Death. Now, you may have seen this at your local Whole Foods or 7-Eleven store. It looks like a beer can mixed in with the water bottles. But in fact, it's just nothing in that can except for pure, clean, ice-cold mountain spring water in an aluminum can. Did you guys know that only 10% of all plastic bottles that are thrown into the recycling bin actually end up getting recycled and the other 90% end up as landfill. So this is an ongoing problem and Liquid Death is a company that is taking the lead in solving that problem. Also, you get to look like you're having a beer, but you're really just having water, which is especially fun if you're pregnant or nursing (laughs) or driving a car or seven years old. You get the gist. Uh, how fun it could be to look like you're having a beer when you're actually not. It's time to wake up about recycling and plastic. It just doesn't work. So we all need to switch to aluminum. Aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. So you can visit liquiddeath.com where they are giving free shipping on all their merchandise, which is super cool stuff. And also for any order of at least two cases of their absolutely delicious mountain spring water. Visit liquiddeath.com. All right, so that's our new sponsor. I wanted to also follow up with you guys today about a story that we've been covering, the curious case of one Mr. Scott Robbins. Now, again, this is the gentleman who made a comment upon checking into the Borgata in Atlantic City, uh, made some kind of, as he described it, lighthearted comment about what floor his room might be on and whether or not he may have to jump from it, etc. And of course, that caused uh, the uh, well-documented rigmarole with the security and the EMTs and the everybody that works in the Borgata making him leave. And uh, as you know, he's been banned from the Borgata. We interviewed Scott last week. If you haven't heard that interview, I found it very enlightening and he shared his side of the story with me. So you might want to go back and listen to that. But for those who are up to date on the curious case of Scott Robbins, I do have some breaking news that he shared with me 
just today as I'm recording this episode on Thursday, August 19th, Scott tells me that he has reached a settlement with the Borgata. So the settlement involves a cash sum awarded to Mr. Robbins, and it also, at least for the time being, does include his remaining band from the premises. Although he is allowed, as he puts it, he is allowed to play at other MGM properties. It's the only one from which he is currently banned. Uh, I asked him if he would be willing to share the amount of money. If you recall, his original lawsuit was for the amount of $1.2 million. I asked him if he would share the amount of the settlement, and he said he wasn't sure whether or not he was at liberty to do so. It could be a confidential figure. So I tried to get a, a more of a ballpark from him. You know, I want to know how much this sort of thing pays nowadays. <laughs> and he basically told me, I asked him, would it be safe to say that it was more than six figures? And his response to that was not even close. So there you go. I guess uh, all's well that ends well. It should be interesting, though, to see whether Scott Robbins will ever be allowed to set foot in the Borgata again. And more importantly, Will he or will he not choose to make comments about jumping from the windows, which again are literally impossible to open? All right. So another story I wanted to follow up on. I mentioned a few weeks ago about the World Series of Poker instituting this rule about being able to ban players for any reason, including health, etc. Well, they have rewritten this rule, I believe it's rule 115. If you just go to the World Series of Poker website and check out the rules for yourself, they sort of softened the wording seemingly in direct response to the outcry of anger <laughs> that players, especially on Twitter, where else, uh, were sort of harping on, you know, this means I could basically just have a cold and the WSRP is going to kick me off the tables. And, you know, I think they're, they're worried about people not coming for that reason. So they have rewritten the rule and made it, the wording a little bit less harsh. I'm not sure that the spirit of the rule is any different than what was originally intended, but the uh, wording is less harsh and less threatening now than it was, uh, let's say, even a week ago. So you can check that out for yourself on WSOP.com. All right, now let's get into some strategy. I have a couple of hands that I chose from the forums at tournamentpokeredge.com. Now, TPE, of course, uh, one of the most affordable and powerful training sites in the poker world. For as little as $25 a month, you can get access to all of our amazing strategy videos, videos made by some of the sharpest minds in the game. You guys know the names. Andrew Brokus, Alex Fitzgerald, Colin Moshman, Jared Smith, and on and on. So, uh, yeah, you want to get in on that. And now you can get $10 off your first month if when you sign up for your TPE membership, you just enter the promo code PODCAST. Do it in all caps. I'm not sure if you have to, but you might as well. Just write PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and you will get $10 off your first month as a member of Tournament Poker Edge. So we have forums uh, similar to other poker sites that have 
places where players can meet up and discuss strategies and hand histories and things like that. And so I took two hands from the MTT forums on tournamentpokeredge.com. And the first one comes from a $600 Venetian with multiple starting days and a $200,000 guarantee, which was blown out of the water. And our poster is named Mac Nova. And he says that this hand comes from about an hour after registration closed on the day that he played. So the blinds were 1,500 and 3,000 with a 3,000 ante. And Hero has a stack of about 130K. So that is a pretty healthy stack. It's about 43 big blinds. Uh, his M is right around 18, let's call it. 17, 18, something like that. So, you know, he's doing great. I imagine his stack is probably above average, although he doesn't exactly say that in his post. And it actually doesn't matter at that stage of the tournament all that much, but I just like to try to keep track of how I'm doing compared with the rest of the field. Uh, let's see. So in this hand, the player under the gun who has a stack of about 100,000, so his M is 14, he's got about 33 big blinds, and he opens under the gun to 6,500. Remember, the blinds are 1,500 and 3,000 with a 3,000 big blind ante. Uh, he does note... Our, our correspondent here, MacNova, does note that the player seems lag, although he's only been at the table for a short time. So now if you told me that you were playing in an online tournament and a player seemed loose and aggressive, even though you hadn't been at the table very long, I would say, well, where the heck are you getting that information from? But I think even a few hands at a new table, you can get a vibe for your opponents, you know, is this person, is he flashy? Does he want to be table captain? Does he have sort of that kind of demeanor or does he seem like someone who would rather wait for the nuts and now just happens to have picked up a few big hands? In other words, I believe information we gather in the first few minutes at a new live tournament table is infinitely more reliable information than similar information you gather online just because there is so much more information available and some of it will be subconscious. You know, I just had a feeling about this player. I had a vibe on this guy. My read on him wasn't based on anything other than the feeling I got in his presence. Now, I've talked about this on this podcast before. I have the same exact talent or power, I guess, in real life. I've talked about comedians that I've met that I felt were creepy or sketchy in some way. And then, you know, a year or two later, find out that they're being accused of sexual misconduct or what have you. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's hundred percent reliable, but if you have a feeling about somebody uh, and you don't have any other information to go on in the live setting, if you if you have a, a sense of a person, an intuition, at least for me, I'm convinced that I've made money following those instincts throughout my career. So anyway, all that to say, let's take MacNova's impulse here and run with it. And let's assume this player is loose and aggressive. So his under the gun raise might not mean the same thing as a player who is more straightforward. 
So the action folds all the way to hero on the button holding pocket tens. Okay, so this is a decision point. Do we want to call or three bet? I don't think anybody wants to fold. Tens is just too strong of a hand. Now, if the raise had come from middle position or late position, I think it's much easier for us to three bet. Uh, I think this is a much closer decision just because the original raise comes from under the gun. Now, given that we have a read that the opponent might be of the loose aggressive variety, then that could be an argument for three betting here and maybe even trying to get all in versus him. Now, remember, we have this player covered by about 30,000 chips, which is not insignificant. Um, he's only got about 33 big blinds. So one way to phrase this could be, would you like to get 33 big blinds in with pocket tens? And I think against most opponents, the answer is yes. Against most of your opponents, getting 33 big blinds all in pre-flop is generally a profitable play. So that doesn't mean it's the best play, but I do think that it's plus EV to do that, especially, and it becomes more plus EV the more loose and aggressive your opponents are. So that is an argument for three betting, but we also have the argument for just flatting, which is an under-the-gun raise has to get some kind of respect. And we haven't been at this table really long enough to know how reliable our read is. All things considered, in this situation, I do trust my reads, and I would probably be three-betting with the intention of calling it off and hoping that we're up against uh, ace-king or pocket-nines or any of the other hands that our opponent might play this way that we're ahead of. Uh, yeah, that might sound a little bit wild to some of you. You might feel like that is too much variance for your game. And in that case, if you want to just flat, go right ahead. You can play your pocket tens in position and just hope the blinds don't come along. So in this exact hand at the Venetian, our hero did just call on the button. And again, I think that's totally fine. The small blind folds, but the big blind comes along for the ride and he's only got... 75,000 behind. So uh, we are going to see a flop three ways holding pocket tens and we are on the button. So the flop comes Jack six tray rainbow. So Jack six tray, there's 24,000 ish in the middle and under the gun fire seven K into the 24 K pot. And now the action is on Hero with the big blind yet to act. Okay, so, I mean, it's a pretty good flop for pocket tens, right? We like jack six tray when we're holding tens. We're usually going to have the best hand. It's a little bit worrisome that our opponent decided to continuation bet with two opponents, especially when one of them is fairly short stacked. I mean, the effective SPR is only about three. Uh, there's 24,000 in the middle and the big blind only has about 75k in his stack. So he's getting pretty close to the commitment threshold. So we have to give a little bit more respect to this C-bet, as small as it is, than we otherwise might. I mean, just the fact that he's betting at all into two opponents tells you he's probably got some kind of hand. 
I mean, honestly, if you had Ace King on Jack Six Trey, you're unlikely to get called by worse on a flop like this. And you're also incredibly unlikely to get a pair to fold. So yeah, I'm not a fan of this bet if our opponent has Ace King. And so therefore, I'm actually not a fan of this bet no matter what he has. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm not, I don't like betting 7K into two opponents. Maybe if he's got like top set and he just wants to try to get a few more chips in there, but not lose the big blind who is again getting a bit short. But yeah, it just it just feels like the wrong sizing no matter what our opponent has. Uh, but yeah, I don't think I'm ready to fold my 10s yet. And neither is Mac Nova, our hero. He does call. You could also, if you really want to, you could go for a raise to see where you're at type thing. I know some players like to do that. Usually information that you pay for is not worth the amount that it costs, generally speaking. But uh, yeah, if your instinct is to raise with your 10s here, I I'm not going to hate on you for it, especially because the C-bet is so small. It is a bit tempting to put in a little raise and try to take control of this pot. But that's a bit fancy for the situation. And particularly with that shortish stack behind us, I think calling is best. And that's what we decide to do. And then to my dismay, <laughs> the big blind is also coming along for the ride. Now that's the problem with this 7K into two opponents. Whatever the original Razor was trying to accomplish, unless it was getting value from both of us, he probably got a little bit more action than he necessarily wanted. We're all three going to see the turn card, and it's an ace. So full rainbow, Badoogie, we're not worried about suits in this situation. The pot is 45,000, and now, under the gun, checks. So do we want to fire? Uh, the board is now Jack, Six, Trey, Ace, Badoogie. And we are sitting here holding pocket tens. Uh, does anybody want to bet this card? I think it's best to check. Um, the fact that we got the overcall on the flop has me a bit frozen here. I'm not sure what the big blind is up to. And we didn't really get any kind of reads on him either. And I'd be pretty happy to keep this pot at the relatively small size that it is now and hopefully just show down my tens. I mean, at least some of the time the tens should be good. And uh, I, I don't really think that the ace is a great card for us to bet into two opponents. So my instinct tells me to check, but I can actually make the other case simultaneously. Uh, the fact that our opponent made a tiny C bet on the flop and then checked when the ace hit makes it pretty likely he doesn't actually have an ace himself. I mean, think about it. If you had if you had like ace queen in this situation and you decided to put out that little 7K into 24K on the flop and now you hit your card where you make your hand on the turn, uh, don't you want to bet again? I think most of us would. So unless this guy is particularly tricky and trappy and clever, it's unlikely that he has an ace. But still, I'm a little worried about the big blind, but you can't worry about everything. But at the end of the day, I think pocket tens is a bit too strong to actually turn into a bluff here. I mean, like if we bet 
on this turn card. We are trying to represent that turn card and basically hope that everybody folds. We're not really trying to get value anymore from like a six, right? Now that it's <laughs> Jack six, Trey ace. So I don't think that we're going for value if we do bet. And so for all those reasons, I just want to check and see the river. And that's what Hero does in this hand, which is great. And so I approve. And there's still 45K in the middle. And now the river comes another ace for a final board of Jack, six, Trey, ace, ace. So now the big blind checks and under the gun bets 27,000 into the 45,000 pot. So he's got two opponents and he's making more than a pot size bet. It's a strange line for him to raise pre-flop and then bet tiny on the flop, check the ace on the turn, and now bet fairly substantially here on the river. So the question becomes, what do we make of this? I mean, I said a moment ago, I don't think it's likely that he had an ace on the turn because he didn't do another bet after he had C-bet on the flop. Would he make this play with a three of a kind then? Well, I mean, I don't think he could have an ace very much on the turn, so I really don't think he has one on the river. And just the fact that I know where two of the aces are makes that all the more unlikely. So it's basically a question of, does he have a hand like kings, queens, you know, something with a jack, or would he ever make this play with a hand like pocket nines or anything that we can beat? All in all, I think that this is a tough decision, but I think we should be folding in this spot. Uh, the reason why is I just think that this bet shows a lot of strength. Now, the big blind and hero have both shown very little strength in this hand, which may, may have empowered the under-the-gun player to go ahead and try to bluff two opponents with a hand like king-queen or something like that. But I think that's a pretty small part of his range. Usually when players have two opponents, they don't like to bluff. And when they do bluff, especially in live situations, I think that they often bet much smaller than they should. Because in, a, you know, in the live setting, guys, for those who don't really play live, any bet gets a little bit more respect than it would online. And of course, I'm generalizing here, but usually players in the live setting are, are more reluctant to put their chips into the middle, which kind of makes sense. It's much harder to watch those chips disappear on the felt than it is just to click buttons on a computer. So I think it's a fold. It's not an easy fold by any stretch, but even if our hand is good against under the gun, there's some chance that the big blind called on the flop, called behind with a jack, and then just decided to slow play all the way, especially when all those aces started happening. But he has no intention of folding if he has a jack. So I just think one of these guys has a jack a lot, and I'm not willing to call this size of a bet with my tens. I think it's a fold. So let's see what Hero did. Hero calls, and then the big blind folds. And here's the result. Okay, so yeah, the under-the-gun player turns out to have had King Jack offsuit. So yeah, raising under the gun with King Jack offsuit, and then, you know, us having the idea that he's a loose, aggressive opponent, that's in line. You know, I mean, I would fold King Jack offsuit at most tables, 
that I play in $600 Venetian tournaments. Usually it's not profitable to open with a hand that bad under the gun. So he doesn't care about position. He doesn't care about things like that. So our read was correct. And so that means that three betting would either have resulted in taking the pot down pre-flop or possibly getting into a coin flip versus King Jack, which is why I said, if I three bet, I'm not looking to throw my hand away. Not when this guy only has 33 blinds to begin with. So thank you, MacNova, for posting to the tournament Poker Edge forums. And again, you guys should be joining TPE so that you can participate in these kinds of conversations. There are lots of hands and lots of other topics like sweat threads and all kinds of fun stuff in the forums on tournamentpokeredge.com. All right, real quickly, let's do another hand I grabbed from those forums. This one's kind of fun. Uh, it's from a bounty event, but not a big one. A $5.25 bounty event on GG Poker. So I'm assuming that this is going to be like a $4 plus $1 bounty, but I'm not really sure. And our correspondent, whose name is Reliable Jake, <laughs> I love that name, uh, Reliable Jake doesn't tell us, but the blinds are 200 and 400 with a 60 ante per player. And we're about halfway through the tournament. Just moved to a new table and no reads on our opponents. Now, I am shocked, guys, at how often you all seem to post hands on the forums or send me hands on Twitter at Clayton Comic, where you have no reads on your opponents because you just got moved to this table. I think some of you out there are fibbing about how long you've been at your table, but the fact is you're not really paying that much attention to your table and you don't want to admit that to me. The reason could be that you're playing poker while doing something else or probably you're playing poker while playing poker on 8, 10, 12 other tables. And that's fine. All of us do that online, okay? I get it. You don't have reads because you're not really paying attention. You're doing your autopilot GTO bot just trying to treat everybody as equals uh, thing. And that is fine for online poker. You know that when you do that, you're sacrificing a certain amount of expected value that could be gained by paying more attention to your table. But in your opinion, playing more tables with a slightly lower expected value per table is still more profitable than just playing one or two tables and concentrating like crazy on them. Now, I can't tell you whether or not you're right about that, but I know that's why you do it. And I'm okay with that. I actually do that sometimes myself. So stop telling me you just got moved to a new table and that's why you don't have any reads. <laughs> we all know the truth. All right. So anyway, we're at this brand new table, quotation marks, with no reads. It's an eight-handed table. One of the players at our table has 11 big blinds and everybody else has at least 30 big blinds. Uh, one fold to hero in second position, or as you may call it, under the gun plus one. And he is holding the ace of spades, six of diamonds, and he's got about 17,000 in chips. So his M is about 16. He's got about 42 big blinds. He's in second position with ace six offsuit. Okay. Um, yeah, this is a fold. Like we don't want to be playing this hand, maybe if you're sure you're at a table of absolute guppies and you're not worried about anybody three betting you 
and you're not worried about getting outplayed or flopping a pair of aces and being out of position against a caller or two. But we already said we have no reads. So when I have no reads, or unless I have a really strong read that I am by far the best player at my table, there's no way you're going to catch me in second position with an A6 offsuit. So this is a very clear pre-flop fold. And I would recommend, Reliable Jake, that you click around a little bit on the Tournament Poker Edge site and check out some of our pre-flop hand charts and, and maybe watch some videos about pre-flop strategies that will explain to you in more detail about why it's such a mistake to have uh, such a wide opening range from early position. Anyway, uh, this is what happens. He min-raises, so he makes it 800 and the hijack calls with 46,000 behind, and everybody else folds. So it's actually a pretty decent result considering how we stepped out onto that tightrope with the A6 off. So we're going to be out of position with A6 versus one late position caller, and that's it. About 2,700 in the pot, and the flop comes king of spades, queen of spades, tray of clubs. So king, queen, tray with two spades, hero with the ace of spades and six of diamonds. Uh, do we want to see bet here or not? So yeah, like I don't like having this hand, but we already talked about that. Since we do have this hand, it's actually a pretty decent flop considering we did not make a pair. We have backdoor nut flush draw and nut straight draw potential. So it feels like that we should be C betting. Now, again, we have no reads on our opponent. I have no idea how this guy plays and what's likely to happen. And I'm out of position guessing, but there are a lot of good turn cards for our range. And so let's put in a little bet. I would bet something like 1K. You don't need to over bet here. If the guy doesn't have a queen or a king, he's not going to be able to call any bet really. So let's see how Hero played it. Okay, he puts in 1120 and villain calls. Yeah, I'm okay with that sizing. And just hoping that we can keep improving our hands so that we can help hopefully run this bluff all the way to the end. So uh, now there's about 4,900 in the pot. And the turn is the tray of spades. So uh, our board is now king, queen, tray, tray with two spades. So the paired board is kind of a mixed result, actually, because it's harder for us to convince our opponent that anything has changed when the bottom card pairs on the turn, unless we can actually convince him that we have the flush. Now we know he does not have the nut flush because we have the ace of spades in our hand, but he called on the flop with something and it's very likely to be a king or a queen. So I think this is a mixed blessing, if you will, as happy as I am to have picked up the nut flush draw I'm also that disappointed that it is with a card that paired the board. So would I bet again? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's probably half the time you do, half the time you don't. I guess I probably wouldn't. I mean, uh, having gotten called on the flop, it's not like he underbet the flop to where the guy could call with any two cards. Uh, you really are up against a king or a queen so much of the time when that 1120 gets called on the flop. And so for that reason, I think it's hard to get a bluff through here on the turn. Maybe if you have a specific read about your opponent, like, yeah, this guy 
he likes to call the flop and see what happens on the turn. Like some players do call quite a bit on the flop, like just to see if they have a floating opportunity or something like that. So if we had any type of read on this opponent, I might be more inclined to bet, but I'm ready to shut this one down despite having picked up the nut flush draw. So let's see what hero does. Uh, yeah, he's keeping it going guys. He puts in 3120 into the 4,900 pot and then villain calls again. Now we've left ourselves with approximately a pot size bet left. Yeah. There's about 11 K in the middle and hero has about that much behind. So come on spade, I guess uh, <laughs> the river comes the deuce of clubs. So, and yeah, our correspondent writes that this is the brickiest brick of all time. I could not agree more. Nobody ever wants to see the deuce of clubs, but there it is. And so should we shove, like basically like our options are check and give up or shove and try to see this thing through. I mean, there are a lot of good reasons why we should give up. Like I wanted to give up on the turn just because in a $5 tournament with bounties, I generally don't like to try to bluff people that I'm pretty sure have pretty strong pairs in their hands. Um, and yeah, just, you know, the way this board has shaken out, it's like, if we bet again, we're absolutely representing that flush and flushes are pretty hard to come by. So we might just want to give up on this one. I mean, yeah, like I like the, uh, you know, the aggressiveness. If we do shove here, I mean, th there's a good argument to be made for why you should do that. I mean, number one, we have like pretty close to the bottom of our range. I mean, I don't know how often we're going to have worse than ace high uh, with uh, this pot size, <laughs> you know, heads up against this opponent. So that is certainly a case for uh, shoving and, and hoping that he can't find the, the call. Um, also, of course, having the blocker to the nut flush and knowing that our opponent does not have the nut flush. And if he doesn't, have the nut flush, he probably doesn't have a flush at all because he called from the hijack pre-flop and there aren't that many hands that don't have either the ace of spades, the king of spades, or the queen of spades in them that should be making that call in the first place. So I get it. If you do shove here, I get it. But on balance, I think that the strategy for winning a $5 bounty event on GG Poker is not to triple barrel bluff people that definitely have at least one pair a huge amount of the time. Yeah, so one thing I forgot to mention, I hope this doesn't change anybody's take on the hand, but Villain has us covered by about three to one in chips. So uh, he's got a lot more chips than we do. So he's not worried about losing his bounty to us. In fact, we have to worry about losing ours to him if we go all in and he calls. Uh, we are definitely losing uh, the tournament and our bounty as well. So, I mean, some people go too far with this. I don't think you should change every single thing about your tournament game just because you're in uh, a straight-ahead bounty tournament. But I do think that when decisions are close, you might want to lean towards not bluffing just because especially players with a lot of chips can afford to look you up and they are incentivized to do so by whatever portion of your buy-in is in the bounty prize pool. Now, obviously, that effect is greatly magnified when we're in a PKO, but even in a standard bounty tournament, it is a consideration nonetheless. So hero shoves and gets looked up by King Jack offsuit. And so this is how 
reliable Jake busted out of that particular $5.25 bounty event on GG Poker. Uh, he made a note that the uh, villain did have the Jack of Spades, so perhaps that may have made it a little bit easier for him to call on every street, just you know, having his own sort of backdoor flush draw. Remember, the king and queen of spades were both out there, so this was, in effect, the second nut flush draw. So it would have been great to uh, you know, hit a spade on the river because it's very likely we could have gotten the full double because this guy was not going anywhere with the jack of spades. One card in the deck can beat him, and we have it. But as it turns out, the uh, deuce of clubs never helped anybody on the river and ended up being the downfall of reliable Jake. Let me know your thoughts on this hand as well as the one from MacNova's $600 Venetian. I want to make a point of sharing more hands from the TPE forums uh, going forward just because I think it's a, a great place to talk strategy with players at various levels, but with everyone having the right attitude of not trying to make you feel stupid or that your questions are dumb or that you're a noob or whatever else you might encounter on other websites. The forums on TPE are one of my favorite sections of our website because everyone there is so supportive and understanding that we're just not all at the same place at the same time in our poker development. So let me know what you guys think. You can tweet me at Clayton Comic. Let me know what you think about these hands, whether you trust my analysis or whether you see things another way. Definitely want to thank our brand new sponsor, Liquid Death. Visit liquiddeath.com and check out their amazing products, which are also better for the environment than the water you're probably drinking now. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. With babes to start And after she's been hooked I'll play the one that's on her heart Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, wow